When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Tomahawk Take Podcast. This is Alan Carpenter, one of the co-editors, and with me is senior writer Fred Owens. Good evening. And you'll note that we're missing Jake because he's off uh, hopefully expanding his family in the next couple of days here. So uh, congratulations to the Mastriones, and hopefully uh, all goes well with that. But uh, we'll we'll look forward to seeing Jake sometime in the, in the future as a new daddy again. So we'll move on and see what we can do with this podcast with just the two of us. Starting today, we actually lost a member of the family, the, the, the greater Braves family. Then we had just missed that last week when, when we had recorded the day before Hank Aaron passed away. And we just want to take a moment. There's been a lot of people writing a lot of things about Aaron and, and his legacy and what he has meant to the Braves, to baseball and I just want to get a few words in here to to add to that. Uh, not that uh, we're particularly eloquent about this, but uh, we do need to to talk about one of the giants of the sport and how he has uh, what he has meant to the game. And Fred, let me go ahead and start with you with that and see uh, what you have to remember about Aaron. And for for y'all y'all out there. Aaron was really kind of in our generation, or at least pretty close to that. So we we actually got to see him play. <laughs> There's a lot of folks out there that that never did, and let me tell you, you, you missed something. If you have a chance to go back and look at some old uh, uh, highlights and and such of Braves games uh, from years past, Aaron was uh, definitely a special player, and that that's what we want to talk about right now. So go ahead, Fred, see what you what was well, you know. About I grew up back when there there was only eight teams and there was no ball games west of St. Louis. Okay, so that's how old I am. And my dad was a Cubs fan. I grew up in Illinois, Cubs fan. Uh, that was my dad's team. I never understood why they couldn't win, but it was baseball I got to listen to. And so I, Ernie Banks was my guy. And uh, Ernie Banks and later Billy Williams joined on. Banks and Williams were my guys. And when Ernie Banks died a couple of years back, I uh, I, I teared up watching the funeral. I knew what he meant to baseball. Uh, he was the gentleman. He was the, that, he was that player. He was the, in, voted the MVP on a team that was in the, in the last place. And he was that guy. And when, when the Braves came to town and played with Aaron, Covington, Adcock, Matthews, Shane Deanst, Logan, Crandall, Spawn, Burdett, and Buell, the Cubs were in trouble. It was just, there was nothing to it. Hank Aaron beat them like a drum. Between Aaron and Matthews, they beat the Cubs like a drum. It was just, it was painful to watch. And yet, my father, a Cubs fan, since he could speak back in the 1920s, the 19-teens and 1920s, loved watching the Braves play, listening to the Braves play. And when I watched the 57 World Series, yes, I am that old, and I watched Burdett win the three games, and Aaron 
and the home runs. And then you get to see him. They started playing the home run derby thing on television where they bring in Mantle one week and Mays one week, and they would do this. And Aaron won it one year. And just listening to him speak after he won, you could tell this was a gentleman. Uh, he was He was a nice man. Uh, inside out a nice man who suffered a lot, we found out later. I didn't know as a kid because I was too stupid at the time. But we found out later how much he suffered of that, but he never showed that. Above it all, Hank smiled, played the game hard, wanted to win, uh, overcame all of that. And then as I got older and smarter and watched him play more, uh, I learned how quick his hands were. And, you know, I was going down the list of things he Leads baseball in total bases all time. Total bases. That's, that's almost an incredible, incredible thing to think about. If you take away all 755 home runs, he still ranks 20th on the all time hit list. He, he's got between home runs, he's leads base, he leads baseball all time in extra base hits, home runs, doubles and triples. He leads extra base hits all time. All these things, never more than 44 home runs a year, but up for but for 20 years, never less than 20. No one else is close to doing that. Williams did it 16 years. Maybe it would have done it more had the war not been there, but nobody but Hank did it for 20 years. Consistently, a great hitter, not a slugger, didn't strike out, walked more times than he struck out in his career. But when, when you put all that aside and and you look at what he meant – to Milwaukee, uh, and to eventually to Atlanta, uh, and to baseball as a whole as a person who rose above all of the pain and the hate and the, and the death threats to become the home run leader. And I, I wrote somewhere else that he's still the man who's hit the most home runs without a needle sticking out of his butt. Aaron was a great man, and they didn't say a thing when, when Bonds took the home run lead. He said, well, I'm I'm glad he hit his home runs. Uh, congratulations. He could have been he could have been a lot worse than that, but Hank was a gentleman and never did that. So for me, I when I heard the news about Hank, I, I told these guys I was going to write something, and I can't. I've yet to be able to put anything on paper because when I start to write, it turns into something that I just can't finish. I didn't watch the service because I didn't want to tear up. Uh, I it's just. It was very personal to me, uh, for, because I grew up with Aaron and Banks and Mays and those guys. And when you watch the all, I watched the all-star game with Roberto Clemente, Willie Mays and Hank Aaron in the outfield for 13 innings. That's a pretty good outfield. And, and that's why the National League didn't lose any of those games back then. So you, you look around and you say, man, uh, what a shame. Uh, but at the same time, what a career and, and what a man and what a, what a gentleman and, and a, just a great individual. Let me put a footnote on the total basis thing because that's actually one of my favorite stats about uh, Aaron. And, and it's just in terms of the, the sheer volume there. He um, not only had more, more total bases than anybody else, but when you compare him to Babe Ruth, I mean, Babe Ruth was a slugger. We know that. But Aaron had over 1,100 total bases more than Ruth did because he was an all-around player. He hit it all over the ballpark. He had doubles. He had triples. You know, just everything was complete about his game. If you add up all the uh, times that, you know, 
every total base represents 90 feet uh, run. So he had 6,856 total bases. That translates to 116.9 miles of running around the bases. And only 51 of and a half of those miles were, were for the, because of home runs. It, it, it's just uncanny the kinds of numbers there were. Uh, another favorite quote I have of the tributes that were being made last week came from Chipper. Uh, and, and Chipper said, yeah, I'm a Hall of Famer. But I look at Aaron's numbers, he's like doubled everything I did. <laughs> it's just that that much above everybody else. I I didn't see Aaron in person but a couple times in, in terms of gameplay when I was growing up. One was uh, at uh, Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. It was probably about 1973 or so, uh, a summer game against the Mets is about all I can remember uh, at that age. But uh, the other was in my hometown of, of Orlando at Tinker Field for a spring training game against the Minnesota Twins. That was interesting because that had uh, Harmon Killerbrew's twins on the other side, and I had never seen Tinker Field so packed. It was absolutely uh, mobbed out there, probably six, 8,000 people, and it really only held about 5,000. <laughs> so it was, it was cer- certainly a big thing. The, the, the thing I remember about Aaron's at-bats were that he skied the ball to, to the infield twice, and in both cases, the twins uh, were confused on the defense. Nobody took charge, and he ended up with doubles because the the, the ball found the grass in the infield after uh, uh, these monster uh, pop-ups. So that that was my first-hand look at Henry Aaron. But certainly, one of the things I've been thinking about is about the pioneer nature of him. We we talk about Jackie Robinson. In fact, he was the the one who was the pioneer for for African-Americans in baseball. And he had to endure the most hate, the most vitriol, the most of everything that uh, went with that. But, I mean, Hank Aaron was part of that next group or, or so. He was close to 10 years after Robinson. But still, he, uh, Willie Mays, um, Willie McCovey, Billy Williams, you mentioned, a lot of those guys came along, and they had a different role to play. Yeah, they still endured some of that racism, a lot of that racism. But what they also had to do was what they did. They had to be very good at their craft, because if they weren't, then I think the racism would have taken hold, and everybody would have said, well, you know, African Americans can't play baseball, so you might as well just not even hire them. Well, they hired them because they were very, very good. And I, I think that was part of Aaron's legacy is he was the one who helped anchor uh, Africans, Americans in, in baseball in, in that sport and, and it helped teams like the Atlanta Braves hire lots of others, Dusty Baker, Rico Cardi, Ralph Garr among them. A lot of these guys I don't know if would have had a chance except for guys like Aaron who played the uh, the sport at a exceptionally high level. And that's something I don't know that he gets enough credit for. It may be that uh, it, it things would have happened that way naturally, but I don't know that that's the case. Um, the disappointment is that uh, we're, we're losing these athletes to other sports like basketball and football now, and, and baseball has, uh, from a peak of about 16 to 18% uh, 
African American participation at one point, uh, were, were dropped down to somewhere around close to five to seven percent now. I, I, you know, it depends year to year what you got, but it's a significant drop off that's happened. And that's unfortunate because I think we would certainly benefit with a lot of these athletes and the sport would be better for it. And I, I wish we could get, uh, more of their, uh, participation. That's what the Atlanta Braves have uh, set as a goal for the uh, Henry Aaron Fund that they just set up this week and, and donated to, and I hope that it's useful for uh, the sport and useful for for Black America. So that that's the things that uh, are running through my head for about Aaron uh, since the uh, since what we've seen last week, and it, it, it's just heartening to see the outpouring of support and tributes that were well deserved and he is clearly a giant of sport the atlanta brave the milwaukee brave that uh, has deserved that and earned, earned it and glad to see that it's happened Now, let's turn to more recent news. Well, let's see. The Braves signed a utility infielder. Woohoo. And uh, the uh, the only other news this week, roughly, is that Leo Mazzoni is uh, now a uh, member of the Braves Hall of Fame. I don't know why it took him so long. <laughs> I don't know why guys like Joe Simpson were uh, before him. But at least uh, he's finally getting his due and, and recognition for being a, the pitching coach he was for for the Atlanta Braves for so long during that big run during the 1990s. And I'm just glad to see that happen. He, he certainly was a guy who is counter to uh, the norm, I guess. He, uh, he's definitely old school. He definitely likes to have these his pitchers work. And he had a definite uh, idea about how he wanted them to work. And it certainly worked for the Atlanta Braves. His ideas have been sort of set aside. And I think that's unfortunate in the modern last 20 years or so of, of the sport. But, uh, Fred, tell me what you th- think and remember about uh, Leo Mazzoni. Well, the first thing I thought was, uh, it's about damn time. <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was the, that was the first thing. That's the first thing that came to my, came to my mind because, uh, in fact, six years ago, I wrote something uh, in the, for, for the take that said, why isn't Leo in the Hall of Fame? In between that time, I mean, that year they inducted Rabbit Moranville. Now, I like Rabbit Moranville. I'm glad he's in the Braves Hall of Fame, and I'm glad that his family was there. I have, you know, I have no problem with them doing that. Uh, and then in between, they've, they've inducted a trainer, uh, and I had to look him up. I don't know who he was. Uh and we said Joe Simpson, and then Don Sutton. And I love Don Sutton, but, gee, uh, the guy was the best pitching coach in the major leagues uh, for 15, 20 years nearly. And you, 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 you wait until 2021. To, he's act, uh, they say, well, this is the last member of the team, uh, the, uh, the team of the streak to go in the Hall of Fame. And then six years later, you decide to induct Leo. And there's something wrong with that. And I asked the question. I went to Atlanta. I talked to all kinds of people who knew or should have known. And all I got was, well, I don't know. And there's something there. There was something there clearly. Uh, I don't know whether it was uh, leaving and going to Baltimore. But, uh, you know, 
He said it was the biggest mistake of his life, and but he was doing it because he pr- made a promise to a man. And I have to respect that. I mean, if, you, if you're a man up, say, look, I made this promise to you, and I'm going to do it uh, yeah. because that's, my, that's who I am. Uh, and I just don't know why it was taking him so long, but he spent 18, 18 seasons in the minor leagues. He played for the Am- Amarillo Braves, the Decatur Braves, the Bedford Braves, the Mont. The Mont, the Monty Braves, the Birmingham Braves, the Tucson Braves, uh, but never the Atlanta Braves. Um, he worked with Johnny Sane and, and, or learned his techniques from Sane and, and Sane taught him everything about p- pitching and managing. And, uh, you know, you've seen Leo in interviews this week and he, he always said, look, uh, in my day, we taught people, we wanted people to work, we wanted them to be strong. We wanted them to throw them twice between rotations because we were in a five man rotation. Instead of before, now they want people to come out and throw hard and all the time, and they're they're blowing their arms out, and they're going to do that because the arm is not made to do that. You can find out. You can find out. My the post is still out there if you want to read it. It's called "Why is Why isn't Leo in the Hall of Fame?" Uh, from uh, like I said six years ago. It's got all that in though. I'm just glad that Leo's alive to get in, because so many times. Halls of Fame, grab a guy and say, oh, my God, Joe Bagadonis died over here, and he was a great guy. Let's put him in the Hall of Fame, and he isn't here to, he isn't here to appreciate it. But uh, the great Leo Mazzoni, uh, the pitching coach to the studs, uh, manager, or assist pitching coach to the Hall of Fame manager, uh, Hall of, three Hall of Fame pitchers out of his rotation, uh, you took broken pitchers, fixed them, sent them back out, and they pitched better when they left the Braves. It wasn't just a bubble when they were with the Braves. They went out and pitched better after he fixed them than they did before. So, you know, that's that's how you tell the pitching coaches doing his job. During the streak, if you go back and think about the streak, who was the, the closer? Greg McMichael? Sorry, I like Greg. Uh, Jarrett Wright? 14 different guys, uh, 14 different pitchers <laughs> recorded recorded uh, seasons of 19 and 20 saves during the during the streak. 14 different cl- people were closers in that, and they never really had a closer when they went out and got one that didn't work. But Leo ha- got them guys through the games and got them to the postseason and, and got gave them the chance to win. And Bobby will tell you that he couldn't have done it without Leo, and I just I just think it's about damn time. I think you're right. I, I have no doubt about that. I mean, you, you make the point about enjoying the Hall of Fame and enjoying the recognition. And at least Hank Aaron had 38 years, <laughs> which he uh, had been in the uh, the Cooperstown Hall of Fame. And so uh, that he he's had that and, and effectively became the king of the Hall of Fame as well because uh, he was that guy that uh, – that made everybody sit up and take notice when he ever entered the room. And uh, hopefully uh, Leo Mazzoni will have a chance to have at least a few years to, of recognition uh, in this generation of, of the kinds of things that he accomplished as an Atlanta Brave uh, pitching coach. Is, you're, you're right. I mean, he, he got guys that uh, went to the post every day. Uh, he, he, they did their work. They, they did their thing. They, they pitched 200 plus innings. Uh, he saw the, them through the transition between four man and five man rotations, and he kept them healthy for a 
ton of years, and they they hardly ever broke down. Uh, John Smoltz was probably the only one who really truly broke down. Uh, I guess he did Steve it after two thousand. Well. It was two thousand innings in before John broke. Two thousand yeah. innings before he before he had to have surgery. Uh, that the, the the whole concept of Henry Aaron hired him as pitching coach, by the way, <laughs> and ah. <laughs> and made him the pitching coach. For, uh, he, he asked Leo. They sent Leo. Uh, this story. This been on the web. Uh, you've probably seen it. But he. Um, uh, they sent. They optioned their seven. Sent eight play, eight players to the team Leo was managing, and like five of them were pitchers, or six of them were pitchers. And he turned them all around and sent them back, and they all pitched well. And Aaron called him and said, "We'd like you to come to Florida and look at our and evaluate some of our pitchers." Um, he did that. He had lunch with Henry on the way down there. He did that, and he said, okay, now we want you to take over pitching development for the Braves. And Aaron put him in the job, and when it came to moving to moving to uh, Atlanta to take go to work for Bobby Cox, it was Aaron in the, in the, uh, in, uh, putting his name up for it and saying, uh, Leo's, Leo's pitchers don't get hurt. Leo's pitchers pitch. They don't get hurt. He keeps his pitchers strong. And Henry's the reason Leo got the job with Bobby, uh, and he's been very vocal about that all week. Um, uh, it's you know, I, I'm I hope Henry knew that before he passed it, that that Leo was going in. But this this uh, it's just this was a, one of the greats of the game. And you talk they talk about Dave Duncan, but you know Leo Mazzoni was better than Dave Duncan. Uh, I don't know I don't know the pitching. Maybe Cooper in Chicago was close. But he's the best. I'm I'm really old. I've said before. He's the best pitching coach I've ever I've ever seen on a team. And uh, I don't know why people don't listen to him anymore. I don't know. Maybe maybe he stole their underwear out of the locker room and flew up the flagpole. I don't know. But whatever it is, forget that. He's he was a great great pitching coach and he deserved it. Let's move to the last topic, which is the one I didn't really want to do, because it's the annoying one, which is, here we are, January 28th, as we record this, and we're still waiting on the Braves to do a backup catcher, we're still waiting on a couple of guys for the bullpen, we're still waiting on a left fielder, and there's just a whole lot of holes here, and not much is going on. Uh, we've heard some rumors about some guys becoming available, though we don't have any connection to the Braves necessarily. Guys like Jock Peterson. Sorry, he's now a Cub. Adam Frazier of Pittsburgh. Trey Mancini of the Orioles. Uh, at this point, we've gotten most of the hitters, the real hitters, off of the free agent list. George Springer is gone. Michael Brantley's gone. JT Real Muto's gone. Even though there was mutual interest said to be between the Braves and, and Real Muto, apparently uh, that wasn't enough to persuade the Braves to go the extra mile and, and just sign a guy that uh, only cost money. So at this point, we've, we've got Marcelo Zuno still hanging around there. And not much else unless you go really deep into a trade that uh, probably isn't going to happen because, well, as uh, Dave O'Brien suggested, giving up top prospects, multiple top prospects to do a significant trade just isn't the uh, 
part of the modus operandi of the Braves at this point. So I don't know where we go from here. You got any ideas, Fred? Because I'm I'm about out of them. <laughs> there's, well, there's not I much mean, happening here. Yeah, I, I've I looked at this a couple of times. I, I put the post up there about the about uh, the budget payroll post up last week, and you know there are ways to to work that around and get. You're going to, in a league without the DH, you're going to need two hitters because you have two big holes in the lineup. Uh, and you're going to, you're going to, well, you have three actually, and you're going to have to fill two of those somehow. And we all assume Pache is going to start in center field. Uh, so if that's good, then you have to find two more hitters somewhere. Maybe Pache comes in and hits 260. I, I don't know. And that's good. Yeah, he, even but, if he doesn't start in center field, then you've got Enciarte and you have no idea what he's going to do hitting either. Yeah, right now, Enciarte is your starting left fielder, and Almonte is your bench outfielder. That doesn't work, friends. And, you know, okay, so you can, I said this in the post, you can go out and hire a platoon. You can pay Jock Peterson uh, $8 million or $9 million, and you can pay uh, Duval 7 or uh, somebody else, Eddie Rosario 7, and you can flip out a... Uh, uh, flip out a uh, right-left um, outfield out there, but only one of those bats play at the time. So you're still a bat short in the lineup unless you believe Austin Riley is going to flip the switch and be the 35-home run guy he, everyone wants him to be. I, like Austin, I would hope he does that. I just don't believe it yet. And he hasn't done anything to make me believe it. So you start looking around for these players. You know, Matt, Trey Mancini is a great guy, right-handed bat. We have one left-handed bat in the lineup, and that's Freeman right now. Uh, so, and you've got all these big right-handed pitchers out there. You want left-handed bat, you're getting skinnier and skinnier. You're down Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, maybe I, I talked about Gregor, Gregor, Gregory Polanco, uh, Andrew Benintendi. That's really what's out there, and there's not much else going on. Um, somebody said that Bauer was going – uh, was going to the Dodgers. I saw that little thing flip by. Somebody told me that the Bauer was going to go to the Dodgers. If that's true, uh, uh, and it could easily be because they have they have a bucket load of money, they would bust the second um, surcharge on the on, on the payroll this year, which might make them decide to unload somebody like Max Muncy and and play Gavin Lux instead. But even if even if you do that. Are they going to trade him to the Braves? I don't know. Uh, somebody said they wouldn't do that. We're a competitor. I don't think. I don't think they worry about competitors. I think they just worry about themselves. But in any case, you're starting to look like there's nothing left. Uh, you bring in Marcelo Zuna, uh, and and I know he had a great 60 games, but he was worse in defense than the Braves expected him to be, and that's why he DH'd for all but four of those games. And that's why he's not back on the books now, I believe. He's going to be a defensive liability in the outfield. And if you play him with the intent of removing him in the late innings for defense, what happens when you need his bat and Ender Enciarte comes up to to take the place? There's a problem there, and the problem is the way the roster is constructed. And I don't know how they fix it this sort of time. There just isn't any answer that we haven't beat to death yet. Uh, unless somebody knows something um, that uh, we don't know here. I mean, I don't know who else is trading anything, but I've looked around the league. We've talked about Nick Castellanos. We've talked about we've talked about um, Chris Bryant. We've talked about Arenado. We've talked about everybody that's uh, out there that could possibly be moved. And yet we're here a month, well, less than a month, from pitchers and catchers reporting 
and we got what the little boy shot at. Yeah, that, even with uh, guys like Chris Bryant, I've heard this week that the Cubs have basically told him that he could expect to be a Cub this year because it sounds like there's no traction that's happening at all and turn or momentum at all trying to trade him. So I I think he's probably off the table. I hear that the Rockies are starting to listen on Nolan Arenado, but does anybody really expect the Braves to step up on that one? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen if you haven't uh, taken the steps to try and get some of these other big free agents. Uh, You you could have done that easily with the the money we're talking about for Arenado. Um, If you're going to give Ozuna a contract now, what are you going to do? Is that a four-year thing? Is it a three-year thing? If you were going to do either one of those, why didn't you go the extra mile to do that for George Springer or perhaps the JT Real Muto? All these kinds of things keep letting me think that perhaps the Braves are just kind of waiting around to let things happen to them and not going out to target anybody or they just don't find anybody palatable on the market. Uh, with, and if that's the case, then you've got one other option. It's a trade. And so far, it looks like you're going to have to overpay for somebody to get somebody. And that I, I can't see that happening so far. So I really am, am a little bit flummoxed as to what the plan is or if there's a plan and or where they go from here. Because right now, it's looking like other teams are driving the action but the Braves are just sort of sitting around waiting on something to happen for them, and it's it's not don't come into the fruition for them. So I, yeah, I I don't know that uh, I like like what I'm seeing, but uh, certainly the action is not happening. And here we are, three weeks now away from spring training starting, and we've got all these holes. They can't even find a backup catcher for crying out loud. <laughs> Yeah, I was about to point out that we we can't we can't even hire a backup catcher or say you know well we don't need one we're going Ajax is going to be the backup catcher. I'm fine. I mean you know if that if you want to put Ajax Contreras in that hole, let's do that. But let's you know the fans are out here and they're expecting the team that damn near went to the World Series to do something, and they look around and the other teams are doing something, and it looks so much like Alex is waiting to see who's out of a job. And yeah. that that is not the way, in my opinion, that's not the way to to run an airline. You don't wait to see which last pilot isn't hired before you put him on the plane. You've got two major holes. If you want to win, you've got to do it. Now, the flip side of this is you, the, the prospects are out today. We've still got the same four in the top 100 that were there at the end of last year. But two of those are going to graduate this year in Anderson and Pache. And you're going to be left with Waters and... Langeliers or Lang- Langelier, however he is, but the catcher. Langeliers, <laughs> I don't know. Langeliers, whatever. <laughs> Shane. Shane, Shane, we're going to got Shane. We got Shane. Shane down there. So you're left with those two guys, and then you're left with a, a bunch of players who are 50, 50 and 45 value players. They're, you know, maybe everyday guys, maybe they're depth, but you don't have anybody to move the needle when you go for a big trade. So if you want to trade for a big trade, if you want to make a trade for uh, for the Arenado or for some, for, if you wanted to make a trade for so, someone like a Betts or an Arenado or 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 a, a Bregman or somebody, a name, you got to have something to move the needle. 
And unless that's Waters uh, right now uh, or the catcher, like Elliers, unless it's one of those guys, you've got nothing. Uh, you know, uh, and and you it's it's like you you go down to go down to shop go down to shop at uh, uh, the, the and you've got a dime in your pocket and everything costs a dollar. It, it's just it just seems to me like uh, it's just, it, it it's you know. Uh, I just don't think it's it's going to work very well, and I'm I'm concerned about that because you've got a core of, of Freeman and Albies and Acuna and Swanson. You got this core of players there, and these pitchers and Anderson and Soroka and Freed. You you've got all this there. You you've got the nuts and bolts, and what you need now is to stick an engine on the outside to give Freeman something somebody to lean on, so they don't have to pitch around him, and they got nothing. I, this I was one of the yeah. This was one of the arguments I was making with uh, Real Muto. Now, whether you believe he's the guy who moves that needle or it provides the protection, notwithstanding, because I can see arguments on both sides there. If you went out and got him, if you went out and gotten got a five year deal to sign Real Muto, and you brought him on board, then what what does that do? That frees up because if they're blocked, Ajax Contreras. Langoliers, they now become part of the trade bait possibilities that you could use to land one of these premium guys that we're talking about that would be for left field or someplace else. These are the guys that would move the needle for, um, for a trade. Uh, you, you free up those guys to, because Real Muto would block them for five years. You wouldn't be able to use them for anything else except maybe backup purposes, and that's not where they'd be best. It'd be best to, to use those as trade. Now, you could now use the same argument for getting a left fielder and, and trading waters and because that's the kind of thing that, that would need to be done. You've still got a, a supply of AAA pitchers that we can't seem to get to the major league level, whether it's Tukey, Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, uh, um, Mueller, or or any of these other guys that uh, we, we've seen get cups of coffee in the majors, you, you've got them kind of hanging around, but at this point, are they really worth it? And I, I, that's why I think the, the Braves have hung on to them a little bit too long and and not used them in a way that uh, would be useful uh, for the team in the long term. Uh, and beyond that, yeah, the uh, farm system's getting thin quickly, and I don't see any way that uh, we're, we're trying to replenish anything. If you could, you know, dump somebody for for a couple of prospects uh, that, that have some at least decent upside, that would at least move the needle a little bit there. But we haven't seen any trades like that so far either. So uh, there's there's a lot of things that are going on. Well, not going on really. That <laughs> are are. are I think going to cost the Braves in the next several years. We had been used to having a uh, top five or top three uh, farm system for a while. Well, that's slipped down to about 10th now, maybe on some lists. And I think that's going to continue to slip even further if, as the next couple of years go by. So we, we've got precious few resources to use for trade. We've got precious, uh, few uh, days left before the start of spring training and we still got some major holes and just don't see anything going on overtly that uh, is going to stop that and that's that's the problem right now and that's 
um, unfortunately, the way where we are here, we're we're reacting, we're not acting, and that's that's my concern. Just saw a, pl- a tweet from Rosenthal uh, that said that Manfred, Rob Manfred, and Deputy Commissioner Dan Halem spoke today with Union Rep Tony Clark and Negotiator Bruce Meyer. Um, exact subjects not known or covered were not known. But health and safety protocols were likely discussed since the club medical staffs are still waiting on them. Now, based on that, and uh, based on that meeting, that's probably true because this uh, on the news recently we've we've been picking up this new strains of the virus coming in, and uh, they're not sure whether the how the um, shots are going to take or the vaccines are going to take it, how the vaccines are going to hold work for it. So if uh, if there's, and they're, they're probably worried about this right now because they're not going to get the people, uh, vaccinated until in the summer. And if there's new strains of, of, um, the vaccine, uh, the virus out there and the vaccine is, is, it's effective, but it's not as effective as it is against, uh, the, the previous strains, uh, the South African strain, the, the, uh, there's a Brazilian strain and, and a UK strain. And actually, here in the states, there's probably different strains that have spun off from the virus here because the virus is a constantly evolving uh, living thing. So, you know, they say it's a South African strain, but it may have just spun off here and looked like the one in South Africa. So you don't know exactly. But the problem is uh, that they just still don't have the health and safety protocols for the season that's going to start in two months done. Uh, and uh, I think I think a lot of that's done politically because coming out of Washington, we don't know what they're going to do. Uh, and some of these right. states are, are in, and, and, you know, you wrote a couple of weeks ago, but the states don't really have any idea what's going on. We had the letter from the Cactus League last week that said, hey, we want to hold off the start of that. But the union saying, no, no, we're going to play. And uh, they did have, as I understand it, they had an exercise, a tabletop exercise in, in, uh, in Phoenix uh, with the teams from the Cactus League out there uh, who were sit- uh, in a roundtable discussion of what would happen, a, sort of a table-type mass disaster exercise. I don't want to – it's not exactly that, but that's what they were doing. Okay, if this happens, how do we manage this disaster, this epidemic, keep it from getting worse? So if you're in that kind of planning mode and uh, you're, you don't have your health and safety stuff out there yet – that's a problem. Now, on the flip side, somebody may say, well, they may have talked about the DH. Well, I think they're talking about, I think they're talking about health and safety right now. And I don't think that the DH is going to come up because I think they're just not, it's not going to happen this year. The health and safety thing, they have to talk about. They have to sit across the table or, and, and have a reasonable discussion about because that's not about money. That's about people's lives. But when it comes to money, these people, both sides are just pig headed and uh, I don't know what they're going to do about it. But that just flipped across my screen. So I thought it passed that along. Well, sounds good because now, as I've been harping on the idea of three weeks to spring training, I'm, I'm now suddenly wondering, well, do we really have three weeks or do we have ten weeks or something like that? Because there's nothing etched in stone by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, we're going to have to continue to follow it and see how we go. Um says nothing's certain yet. <laughs> And I'm I'm just hoping that we get some baseball soon. But uh, that that that's some interesting news that that's coming out of there because uh, the other sports seem to be doing okay. Football, we got through an entire season with that. Uh, the NBA is having a little struggles here, but uh, we'll we'll see how baseball can handle this. Uh, right now, I do know that uh, we we've got a delay to the minor league season. They've got to get their own protocols uh, squared away, but. Uh, Right now, they're going to take a back seat, of course, to the major league uh, teams and see where that goes. So 
that's about all we got for this week. Unless uh, Fred's got any final thoughts, I, I think we can wrap up. Fred, I got nothing left out here. Uh, just uh, I just want I want these two sides to stop fighting over a few dollars. Okay, I, I, they're damaging the game. I, I see that they're you know I just don't like them sitting in a corner saying my my feet are bigger than your feet. And, and so I'm going to get more, I'm going to get bigger shoes than you. I don't like that. And, uh, I think that, you know, when you start, when you get in that position, somebody needs to take a step back and be the bigger person here. And I just don't see either side doing that right now. And that bothers me a little bit. Uh, I'm good, in favor the, of that. <laughs> the good news is that they're talking about the health and safety thing. Um, and, uh, that, that is a priority. Uh, I, I think they will start spring training on time unless there's something major happens between them now and then. But uh, I, I, the season, I, I don't, I don't think they're confident about the season on either side, and that's just that's just a gut feeling. But it just doesn't seem uh, seem like it's going to be a, a quick and easy kind of fix for these folks, and uh, I'm not sure that they understand that. Well, we'll keep on it. We'll keep watching, keep uh, seeing what what might happen one way or another. But uh, hopefully, we can. At least get the the Braves off top dead center and and, and get uh, something going with the uh, with, with this roster. But uh, other than that, uh, failing to have a, a guy of a stature of Hank Aaron uh, step up and say stop it, everybody, let's uh, behave like adults here and, and get some things done. We're probably going to end up with the same kinds of things <laughs> as we've been seeing. So that'll do it for this week. But uh, we'll. Like I say, keep uh, on top of things and uh, let you all know what we what we know when we know it. And uh, otherwise, thanks very much for listening. Appreciate you tuning into the podcast, and uh, hope you uh, subscribe to it regularly. And we'll we'll get this out to you as soon as possible. And thanks very much. This edition of the Tomahawk Tick Podcast, our fourth for 2021, is a production of TomahawkTick.com and Fansided LLC, a subsidiary of Minute Media Inc. We'll dedicate this one to the memory of Hammer and Hank Aaron. Opinions expressed on the show today are solely those of the participants. Minute Media doesn't claim any of them. All rights reserved. Some of the musical selections used today come to you under the auspices of the Creative Commons license, terms of which are available at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0. These were pieces by Kevin McLeod entitled Heartwarming and Still Pickin'. His works are featured at incompetech.filmmusic.io. All other selections used come via rights purchased by tomahawktake.com. Thanks for tuning into the podcast today, and as a final message to Alex Anthopoulos, yes, it's, it's okay to send eight players to Cleveland for Jose Ramirez. We'd be okay with that. We'll see y'all out for the next inning. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.